when substitutions pass as solutions. In healthcare, we see so many examples in which patients, providers, healthcare systems substitute a more complex problem for a more simple problem and believe that substitution passes as the solution. The most obvious example of this that we see in healthcare law is with abortion. There are so many laws restricting specific aspects of abortion that we don't really know what the intent of the law is. Is it to promote certain Christian values? Is it to reduce the number of abortions? Is it to make abortions safe? We don't know because the laws only restrict one specific aspect of that procedure. It doesn't actually address the procedure as a whole. In Kentucky, there is a law that requires narrated ultrasound consent in which the provider must show the patient an ultrasound of the soon-to-be or potentially aborted fetus while explaining the various anatomies of the fetus. Is that truly informed consent? Is that in some way mentally instilling a trauma onto the patient? Impacting their decision to get an abortion or not? We don't really know what the purpose of that law is, but apparently informed consent was redefined to include that specific narrated ultrasound for that specific procedure. In no other medical condition, procedure, examination, is a provider required to give a narrated ultrasound. If a patient comes in for right upper abdominal pain and eventually has an inflamed gallbladder, cholecystitis in medical terms, the surgeon who will perform the procedure doesn't have to do a narrated ultrasound. If the patient knows he or she has an inflamed gallbladder and signs informed consent, the surgeon goes ahead with the surgery. So why is it that certain specific aspects of abortion have to be restricted or undergo unique provisions? Well, it's because many states, many federal legislators, many federal politicians, anyone politicians at a local level, do not understand healthcare enough to construct laws that address the full continuity and the full clinical sequelae, meaning consequences thereof, of the clinical procedures they're attempting to create laws for. So you have a situation where we're substituting a specific aspect and using that specific aspect to be indicative of the entire healthcare procedure, examination, test, what have you. And so what you'd have then are these implicit moral hazards that arise around the specific aspect that's being restricted. You see this all the time with abortion, going back to that as an example. You will find a situation where in states that have more restrictive abortion laws, the number of abortions in nearby states increases. So the laws do not actually restrict abortions, which presumably is the intended effect, it simply makes patients from that state travel farther, which is potentially more dangerous, in order to get the procedures done. 
You see that with Illinois and Indiana. You see that with Kentucky and nearby states. And you see that most notably in Louisiana, where recently a law was shut down by the Supreme Court in which the state of Louisiana mandated that those physicians who were to provide abortions had to be credentialed at a hospital in a nearby vicinity in which the abortion would be performed. The idea behind that was we need to protect patients in the event that a complication arises. Never mind that the provider who is performing that abortion can simply call the hospital, explain the condition. No, that provider needed to be credentialed. Now, instinctively, you may believe that that is a good idea. But what happens is it then limits the number of providers who are eligible to perform abortions in the state. It takes the availability of the procedures, the availability of the physicians who can perform the procedures, and makes that subservient to a potential complication of the procedure itself. So rather than considering the availability of abortions, they consider the potential complications of the abortions and determine that to be more significant than the overall availability. That to me indicates that they are substituting a complex problem of abortion safety and trying to find a simple solution by substituting provider hospital privileges instead of looking at abortion risk as a function of the availability of that procedure and providers to perform that procedure relative to the risk of complications. Again, finding a law or creating a law that can balance both the availability risk and the complication risk is a far more complex law and requires legislators, the politicians who are creating and advocating for the law, to understand healthcare beyond what they're able to understand in the first place. So essentially, you are mandating that the legislators understand more of healthcare than what they currently do. And because they do not have the level of understanding sufficient for a comprehensive clinical evaluation and the implications of their laws, you find these substitution patterns appearing all over in healthcare. While abortion may be the most obvious example, probably the most significant example in our time is with the opioid epidemic. You see numerous examples in which local, state, and federal law enforcement agents, be it the state police, the DEA, each attorney general's office, department, and various services within the health and human services, cracking down on the number of prescription pills as though the availability of the medication the availability of the opioids impacts the abuse of the opioids. But what we found, and the Cato Institute has been particularly vocal in this, what we found is that there is no correlation between the number of prescription pills and the number of overdoses or the number of abusive-related behaviors. What we did instead was substitute 
the problem of addiction with the problem of availability, the problem of the number of prescription pills, and then deemed that the availability was the causative factor. Now, why do we do that? Well, because law enforcement agents substituted the complexities of clinical care and of addictive behavior and of addiction medicine into a simplified drug dealing exchange. In the drug dealing world, everything is supply focused. There is a supplier who sells a larger quantity to smaller suppliers who sell smaller quantities, presumably then to addicts or drug abusers at a very local street level. The supply chain is very linear, and as I mentioned, supply-focused. Law enforcement agents who now find themselves knee-deep in the opiate epidemic do not understand the clinical implications of addiction, addictive behavior, or how addiction medicine fits within primary care medicine. So they substitute the complexity of clinical care for the simplicity of traditional drug buy-bust, of traditional drug investigations. And in the process of doing so, they have exacerbated the opioid epidemic by limiting the number of medications available by instilling a sense of fear into providers, into healthcare as a whole, restricting access to critical medicines that many patients have. What you see now is a reaction, a reverberation among the patient populations who are no longer able to get their medications. And what you see are patients in chronic pain who are not able to receive the medications that their bodies have been used to, medications that their bodies have acclimated to, through which they have been going with their lives for years upon years that they suddenly find themselves without. What you find are patients who have substance dependencies but are whittled out of the healthcare system because providers and healthcare systems are afraid to look at them as patients and see them as potential legal liabilities because the criminal justice system has substituted their complex clinical behavior into a simplified criminal behavior. And the reverberations and reactions as a result of that initial simplification has created adverse medical conditions for many patients in many parts of the country. Now, I don't know what the solution is, but what I do know is that the solution comes from understanding the complexity of addiction medicine, the complexity and how it fits within primary care medicine, and treating the clinical encounter as a clinical encounter and not substituting it for a traditional drug dealing encounter as what many law enforcement agents are familiar with. So the same issue that affects politicians is affecting law enforcement agents, and that's a fundamental lack of understanding of clinical nuance. Think of it almost as though a physician is presenting a legal argument in court. Yes, the physician may understand the basics, but the nuances of how an argument is to be made, the court procedures and protocols inherent in making a certain argument may not be familiar to the physician. In the same vein, politicians and law enforcement agents 
may understand at a high level that the opioid epidemic is affecting significant communities throughout the country. But the clinical nuances that underline the pathology of addiction and poorly treated pain and addiction pathologies is lost upon politicians and law enforcement agents. And in losing that nuance, they found substitutions instead of true solutions, which has only exacerbated the opiate epidemic. So healthcare as a whole, in order for us to address many of these pandemic, epidemic-created problems, we need to understand that healthcare should be seen from the perspective of complexity and nuance, and that those who are making critical decisions about healthcare as a whole should understand the nuances of their decisions, of their policies, before they advocate for the simplicity, the familiarity of what they know, which may be, in the end, harmful for patients as a whole. Thank you.